You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy, and I'm excited to have as my guest this week the newest member of the Liberty Ballers team, but in a lot of ways, he's also the oldest member of the current staff that we have at Liberty Ballers. Seamus Clancy is joining us. He is the newest staff writer for us here at LB. Uh, you also may know him from his staff writing position for Bleeding Green Nation. So man that knows his Philly sports and we're excited to have back on the site. Uh, Seamus, thanks for joining me here on the pod and, and welcome back to Liberty Ballers. Of course, I'm amped and I love that you're the first pod I'm hopping on as a LB specific writer once again. Did you watch the uh, Watchmen TV show on I HBO? Did. I did, yeah. Two? It was tremendous. So when, when oh, absolutely incredible. But when you were saying that, like the oldest and the newest at the same time, I'm thinking of uh, Dr. Manhattan being like, I'm in Vietnam and I'm also in 2020 <laughs> at the same exact time. This is the vibe I got when yes. you said that. You, you are a member of Liberty Ballers throughout every point in history, all simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hope, hopefully you'll, you'll still be here when we uh, have the championship. Finally, we can celebrate or, or whatever, uh, whatever the future has in the store right for us. Old age of 74. <laughs> Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll, we'll have a virtual reality set up where we, we're actually on the court with the players as, as they play. Um, uh, but yeah. I just think and the words go on the laptop. I don't even have to type them out. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't even feel that far off, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we're going to talk about the OG Liberty Baller days a little bit. And then, of course, we'll, we'll delve into the, the present day and discuss the, the past offseason for the Sixers, the, the end of the disappointing 2020-21 season, and, and talk a little bit about uh, what you expect going forward. But yeah, just to kick things off, um, you, you wrote your introductory, reintroductory column on the site this week and mentioned that you, you've been away from the site for about four years or so. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what, what was your favorite memory from your, your prior stint um, with Liberty Ballers? A few things came to mind. One was, and this is, I guess, more on a macro level and it gets into something specific, was the strength of the community there at the time. Because looking at the site now, the fan base has just grown astronomically in that time span. Like I left right before Ben Simmons is you know, second year slash real rookie year when he's finally on the court, they made the playoffs for the first time in, what is that, six years then in 2018. So I left the beginning of that season. And it still had this niche micro cult following that Sixers fandom felt like it had online. And it was like a tight knit community at Liberty Ballers. And I'd obviously rather the team be really good and have a bajillion readers than just being this tight niche thing. And I'm writing about a team that wins 10 games or something like that. But I, I love that aspect of it. And I think at the time, a lot of the writers and myself, a lot of other writers have gone and done a lot of successful things. Derek Bodner, Rich Hoffman, Mike Levin, 
uh, Jake Fisher, Kyle Newbeck. Like I felt like everyone there had ended up having a pretty decent writing career there. But it, it really allowed the fans to connect with the, the readership and listenership really well. And I always appreciated that. But that gets into specifically was those early lottery parties that, you know, Liberty Ballers would kind of throw with rights to Ricky Sanchez. I remember the first one we had was in 2014 at, at Miller's Ale House in, in Northeast Philly. So that was like kind of a small thing. It, it seemed like there were more people there than I expected there to be. And then in 2015, we went to the Buffalo Wild Wings up in Northeast Philly. And they were literally turning people away at the door because it was so overcrowded and you couldn't fit people in. So that's when I really felt like there was this buzz, like, oh, we might, we're going to have the third pick in this year's draft, or we're hoping for a top three pick, hoping for the top pick. And dealing with all that and the excitement was incredible. They're doing a live podcast from there. And then in 2016, uh, they moved to Xfinity Live because of how passionate this fan base had gotten and the excitement because the Sixers did finally – even though you would have thought if you listened to everyone, they had the worst record every single season. Yeah. 2016 was the first time they did have it in that time frame. Well, they were and rebuilding they the for over a decade. There. So yeah. I was Liberty Ballers in the, not the early nineties too. So they've been rebuilding since then technically. Yeah, yeah. And getting the excitement when they landed, they show because the Sixers dropped in the top three with the Lakers and the Celtics, the Celtics had the pick from Brooklyn. Uh, when that self, when that Lakers card came out for the second pick, everyone just went absolutely bonkers. I mean, there were people like jumping on tables and stuff like that. And, and that was awesome. And then 2017 was the last party part I was at as a kind of official staff writer. And that's when the pick swapped happened. And obviously ended up being kind of a disastrous result in everything that trickled down from there. And it just feels really fitting for this era of Sixers basketball that something wild that the team fans and writers sometimes obsessed over for a couple of years ended up butting them in the ass gigantically by the time <laughs> it was pretty six. So I love the community. I loved going out and meeting the fans because at that time, and again, like the fandom has changed so much. And I love that it feels way more inclusive rather than, or ex than ex exclusive uh, than it kind of felt back then where, I know we felt like outsiders, weirdos, and now it's kind of mainstream, but I love that. Yeah. You know, part of what I love about running about the Eagles, about the Phillies, the Flyers, whatever, is the tangible connections it brings with other people in the community, not just necessarily people that, you know, the freaks you talk on to, talk on the internet and Twitter with all day, but just, you know, walking around the city and seeing someone wearing a Sixers shirt and hat. I think that one, the Eagles are good. And I've certainly seen a lot more Sixers shirts and hats and jerseys around the city since the last time I was writing for LB, and that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. It's Sixers were kind of the uh, the redheaded stepchild of the Philly sports scene for a little bit there. And then they've really kind of them and the Eagles have been kind of one, two for the past few years um, with the Phillies taking a step back a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Like the lottery parties, it was crazy that it started out at Miller's, which was kind of this like local bar I used to go to with my buddies. And then were you, were you at the Miller's one? Yeah. I was, um, yeah, my, a good friend of mine, actually, his Going family, nuts for trying to get Wiggins. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rigging for Wiggins. Uh, so that, that actually, uh, that worked out pretty well for us. All things considered that, uh, that didn't quite, we didn't get the one pick, uh, like, so that, that would have been a, it just it, sums it, up it, the entire era. Yeah. The, the multiverse where the lottery ball bounced a little bit differently and Wiggins was the guy who ended up here. That, that that's not the universe I wanted to live in. 
Um, but yeah, and then all of a sudden they're at Xfinity and the, the ESPN personality is marrying people. <laughs> like, it's just oh, wild. Pablo Torre. Yeah, yeah, that was insane. <laughs> the twists and turns that, that that has taken. And yeah, I know, especially with our younger writers who are a lot more online yeah. than I am, they, they meet a lot of their good friends through the Sixers Twitter and uh, the, yeah. the larger community online. So it's, it's really cool to, to watch. And uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something you, and you mentioned some of the other great uh, writers we had here in the past that have gone on to bigger and better things that, that, you know, credit to you guys for kind of fostering that community and, and helping people achieve those connections and, you know, bring, bring people into the, into the fold a little bit. So yeah, that that's all. Yeah. yeah sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, like, what's the point of sports? Like, that's that's a thing where I always talked about. I make fun of Cowboys all the time because of, you know, obviously a gigantic Eagles fan, but you have Cowboys fans that are from all over the place that have no tangible connection with the, with the team. What I love about the Sixers is that one day, hopefully in my lifetime, they are going to win the championship, and I'm going to go out in the street and, you know, walk to Broad Street or whatever, and I'm going to see hundreds and thousands of other Sixers fans doing it and has the real true communal feel and I kind of just think in general, sports are this breaking of the bread for specific communities. I know it's not the same anywhere, but kind of in this, you know, Philadelphia to Boston, Northeast Corridor and Chicago, those vibes certainly exist. And I think that's what connects me most with these sports teams. Obviously, I, I love the sports itself. I love basketball. I love football. I love baseball. I love hockey, watching the games, but the connections there. And early in LB when I was there, the connections were there, but little bit more micro and niche where now you know there are thousands and thousands of Sixers fans from all different age groups genders backgrounds who are gigantic Sixers fans and it's so sick to see because you know four or five six years ago was unimaginable in my mind in a weird way yeah it's and it's hopefully the uh the team's eventual championship will come sooner rather than later and we, we can uh, all the hard work we put in investing in this team can pay off. But uh, yeah, yeah, just to, to, to go back to the older times for, for a, a little bit more. Um, one of the th things I liked about the site was, and you mentioned this in your piece this week, how the team wasn't always performing well on the court. So you guys had to climb up with quirky things to, to keep it interesting on the site. And uh, there were a lot of cool running features you had, little gimmicks you guys would do. Um, one of the favorite ones of mine was the, I think Mike came up with this. It was the Lou Williams hate advisory index. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which for, for those that don't remember, this was like 10 years ago. It was basically, uh, it would go from, I think he called it sapia to like yellow to red. And it was how much, yeah, yeah. how much Lou Williams was getting irrationally confident and just going ISO every play. And, and whether that was, that was frustrating to a lot of people because they're like, Hey, let's continue to actually run offense. And we don't just don't need Lou just trying to break everyone down off the dribble every play. Um, so that was, <laughs> that was always, uh, like you said earlier when it was kind of at this niche community. So that, that felt like an indie band that has this really obscure song and you hear it on the radio and you, you love it. Like seeing that pop up in an article or something that always made me like yeah. laugh to myself or something um so yeah just from those days anything like that like running features you had or a, a member of your uh one of your colleagues on the staff that you really look back on fondly and say wow i can't believe that that was something we used to write about all the time or i i really enjoyed that and if it hadn't been for a place like liberty ballers like 
what kind of outlet would have done something like that kind of thing? I mean, it's a kind of a similar feature that other places certainly could do or would do, but the branding was great. We would do Sixers Tinder at the end of the season and you would go like everyone would grab a different player on the roster and you would either swipe right or swipe left on them to see if you wanted to keep them for the whole season or for the following season, I should say. Kind of like an end of the year report card type thing, but with a kind of goofy, fun vibe that I think was synonymous with LB at the time now because the basketball itself is more important than everything else going on the court. It requires a different level of detail and attention. And I think that there's a difference in these errors of LB, but I think that's what you all on the site do and excel at so, so well is I think your basketball human is on another level than kind of the way we were writing in, in that era. So Sixers Tinder was a goofy thing. I, you know, I wrote about a bunch of different people, you know, Furkan Aldemir, I would have like this, <laughs> you know, joking relationship with him. I remember the, one of the pieces that like always sticks out to me is I wrote a, like a very long piece on Tiago Splitter for Sixers Tinder. And it was just like, I did like three like short creative nonfiction stories or something about like running into people in the city and talking about Tiago Splitter. <laughs> that was, it was just an era of complete nonsense. And I've obviously written by the Sixers since then, whether it's with NBC Sports Philadelphia, and the Philadelphia Sports Newsletter Daily that I run myself. So I'm always talking about the team, but in the context of LB, it'll be cool to actually write about a good basketball team for the first time ever in my time with SB Nation. Yes. Well, um, from experience, I'll tell you there are pros and cons because with great expectations comes great disappointment. So you will... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there, it, Certainly. It, it is good to write about a team that uh, finishes number one in... The regular season in the conference but then as the uh the wheels kind of come off in the postseason that that does make it hurt all the more so uh you, you'll you'll get to experience oh, yeah. this <laughs> um but uh yeah uh, so you, you mentioned splitter did he did he actually ever play a game with the sixers or he, he never actually suited up for them or, or did he for like a week or so and i'm just completely forgetting <laughs> i think you played a, i think you played a game i actually went and saw him Another like thing that would like never happen now and is hilarious in you know five thousand different ways was that I went and covered a blue coats game and they were the eighty seveners then as a media member because Joe Biden was gonna it was like Joe Biden night. He wasn't in office at the time, it was during Trump's presidency. So obviously former VP and you know, there were rumblings that he would eventually run for president maybe in the future. And he's there, it's like Joe Biden, he does a speech before the game and everyone. I'm there trying to get like a quote for him or get him on video saying, trust the process. I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, but I did get some pictures for him and write a quick article. Good for, you know, the 87ers, then 87ers media people to get some people in the game, get some publicity. Also fun for me to do a little, uh, you know, game recap and insider vibes. But Tiago Splitter played for the 87ers that night, which was outrageous. Now I need to look up if he actually played a game for this in as in the Sixers. I know I saw with my I wouldn't believe it otherwise. I saw with my own two eyes that he did play for the Delaware 87ers. Him and uh him and Emeka Okafor. Played eight played in eight games. <laughs> 70 wow, 76 total minutes in eight games. Never played in the NBA again. Wow. So I guess when you you've achieved your lifelong dream of suiting up for the Sixers. You, you really don't have anywhere else to go from there. So he, he, yeah. he, he was able to just retire gracefully. Um, so 
it's probably not splitter but i did want to ask you who who was the guy from that period that kind of personified that era of sixers basketball for you or that you you look back on your time your your first stint with lb and you're just like that that was that was the guy that represented that era and you felt like the t- team the team at lb kind of covered the most or just when you look back who who is the main sixer that comes to mind for you uh, unquestionably, Dario Sharj. He was a guy that, when I started writing for LB, I was doing a lot of film breakdowns of his play in Turkey, and wasn't necessarily for anything specific. It was a time where, no, it's 2013, 20, I guess 2014, I should say. I'm um, getting ready for like my junior year of college and trying to find my way in the online writing world, writing for my own Sixers blog and stuff, and trying to make for a name for himself. And I always say to, if I'm talking to younger writers, try to find an avenue that someone else isn't covering different things like that. And, you know, the Sixers just used a, you know, a first round pick, a lottery pick on this guy who's not playing in the NBA this year. And no one's talking about this guy's game. So why wouldn't I just be the guy who has this knowledge base and does this? So I was, you know, at one point I had a Turkish cable package on my laptop, <laughs> like for like $30 a month. And I would watch all the, is like Turkish basketball league games for Anadolu Ifis. And I was writing about it, doing some clips and breaking down some EuroLeague stuff to EuroCup. And, you know, then he actually comes over and plays for the team. And that was my last full season covering them was his actual year, the year he finally came over, Joel first playing. And they have, you know, that great January run, January 2017. You know, I'm doing weekly articles, kind of kind of more emotional pieces where I'm framing it around shards, but just talking about how even at that season, even though it wasn't quote unquote a winning season, the vibes were certainly changing with that Sixers team. And they were no longer the, the laughing stock of the NBA. They had a guy who was clearly, clearly, clearly a budding superstar in Joel Embiid, even though he only played in 31 games and charge seemed like this super role player. And, you know, he has different roles in his NBA career. Looks like he had a successful stint in Phoenix before he got injured in the playoffs, but specifically in that 2018 Sixers season, he was such a key cog almost had like a 50, 40, 90 season. So definitely the guy I associate with the most from that era for sure. Yeah. You, you really took a risk getting that invested in Dario since as we all know, he was never coming over. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have, you gotta make a name for yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, how many dorky white guy basketball bloggers are out there? Five bajillion. So kind of had to be the one guy doing a certain thing to kind of, you know, you always got to find your role. And like I said, I say it to younger writers, I say it to writers who are currently entrenched in doing stuff, you know, find something that no one else is doing, be able to write something that if someone didn't see your name on it, they would know it was you by the voice in the article. Yeah, absolutely. Great, definitely great advice for everyone out there that uh, aspires to one day have have a writing position out there somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah Dar- Daria is certainly a, a key you know, as, as Mike and Spike on the rights to Ricky talk about like the core four, he's, he's definitely that guy that yeah. harkens back to the process days. And it was certainly heartbreaking to see him suffer that injury early in the finals. Um, yeah. That, that was one of the silver linings for people was that, Oh, well, you know, we don't really care Phoenix and Milwaukee. We don't have any ties or they're not rivals. So we don't really care one way or another, but eventually seeing Drew win a title was, was nice, of course. And, and, and on the other side, it, it was Dario that people were rooting for to, Hey, he'd be the first process guy to get a ring. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough to see him uh, suffer that injury, but 
you know, all the best going forward. Uh, ACL injuries these days, there's not not the career altering thing it used to be. To be sure, this so. guy come back after like six weeks and they have <laughs> bionic leg and it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so shifting more towards uh, present day here, uh, I wanted oh, no. to ask you about your. <laughs> It, it's still up on your pin tweet on Twitter. Uh, yeah. You're, you're Seamus underscore Clancy for, for anyone that doesn't know, but you, you called it was the game five loss, which yeah. that, that was the, the 26 point lead that they blew. I'm, is, yeah. That so was, the, the yeah. series wasn't even over. So after that, I had recorded that video, they were still down. They were only down three, two. So conceivably they could have still won the series and, you know, gone on and win the NBA championship. Yeah. I think my thoughts would seem the seem the same. And I know we had, you know, conversed before this podcast and, you know, bouncing off ideas. And you said, do you still stand by if that's the most embarrassing loss? And in, in, Philadelphia, answer, sports, in Philadelphia sports history, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> born yet for, you know, like 93 World Series game six or anything like that. Uh, so it's all relative since 1994. You didn't really have any big Phillies games until I was in high school. So you go sport by sport, you have. That's definitely the Sixers game, unquestionably. Yeah, the 2002 NFC Championship game, the last game of the Vet Eagles, is the Buccaneers. And that's probably two for me. And it's like a, they're in the same tier. Like, those are just the only two ones in, in tier one. But it's still that game for me. And then, I guess, for the Phillies, you have – would it be the last game of, of the 2010 NLCS uh, at Citizens Bank Park? You know, Juan Uribe hits that home run that goes, like, three inches over the right field fence. And then for the all around 2010 is also the Flyers Stanley Cup game six loss at home, uh, ended up losing in overtime to the Chicago Blackhawks. So that's still number one. And you were, you asked like, has that changed? I was like, hasn't changed yet. We haven't had a lot of, you know, big Philly sporting events since then, but we'll see what happens with this Eagle season. So it could <laughs> easily get, get knocked down a peg, but right now it's just, it just summed up the disappointment of this era, this, this idea that we had all these dreams. I feel like it's a cliched Tyler Durden fight club speech where, you know, people or Sixers fans of this age were promised the world and truly thought we could do literally anything in this life. And we're going to have championships and championships and, you know, finals berths left and right. And it's been 20 years and they still haven't made the conference finals. And, you know, that was a different world, different universe in the basketball landscape. And to finally get the one seed, to be a season where Brooklyn had some injuries, we weren't sure about Milwaukee, the Lakers were out of it, Golden State wasn't the same team. They had the one seed, they were playing the fifth seed that had home court advantage throughout the entire postseason. They had fans in the stadium for that round. They have been, since 2018, maybe the best home team in all of North American sports, not just the NBA, <laughs> maybe every professional sports league in this country, in this continent, and to lose twice at home. Well, they lost three times at home, right? But I just meant game five and game seven specifically yeah. where they felt like every single thing was on the line and they had those leads and they blew it. It was just demoralizing. It just hammered home that they're wasting Embiid's prime. It's not like... People talk about the Sixers have young superstars. Embiid's not necessarily young. His aging curve is way different than most players. And he was a little bit older coming into the league than most rookies. He wasn't, an, you know, just freshly turned 19 or something like that. He wasn't as young as Tyrese Maxey when he came into the league. And I'm just thinking, we did all of this. Did we, did we waste it? Is it over? Is the window over before it even really began? Like, 
I'm left thinking 19 was their best shot at the championship. And when they had Butler, they had that offensive cog and Golden State battled some injuries. Toronto was going through the East and they, they could have, should have, would have, whatever. Toronto was obviously the better team. They won for a reason. But I'm left thinking all these specific years and disappointments. And it really, truly felt like the 21 team was different than anyone we had because of how much they rolled through the regular season because Joel played legit like the NBA MVP of the whole fucking league. And to see that crumble with a 26 point blown lead to the fifth seed, not even the second, third or fourth seed, a team that didn't have home court advantage in either of their first two rounds before making the Eastern conference finals. It just sucked. And you think about how we thought we were on this great trajectory since the process started the Hawks have made the conference finals twice with two entirely different rosters. And I wouldn't trade the Hawks future for ours or the rosters. But at the same time, left thinking like, did, did we just have the worst luck imaginable for any sports franchise ever where they blew several top three picks and at the same time, they still have a somewhat fighter's chance of winning a championship. It's this Sisyphean thing where we're rolling this rock and getting our hopes up only for it to come crashing down inevitably. Yeah, you laid out a good argument there because everything was laid out on a plate for them last year. They had Brooklyn was dealing Everyone was with saying this is the easiest path to the yeah. conference finals I've ever seen for any other team. And I agreed with it. I was probably saying it too, but it wasn't easy because they didn't even effing get there. <laughs> you st- it's uh, it was it became easier for other teams when the Sixers played down to their competition for sure, um, but yet even they, people were saying that before the playoffs, and then Brooklyn yeah, started yeah, dealing yeah. with even more injuries. Uh, Giannis was in the midst of his his free throw woes, and and people were questioning, you know, how much that would affect the Bucks. And you're right, like they turns had turns out it didn't. <laughs> yeah, he 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 turned that what, around. In what a did hurry. he go for in that last game? Like fifteen or seventeen? Yeah, exactly. In the so, game in the finals. Oh so that's that's a little bit different than a, a, a free throw difficulty player that we had on our roster and how that turned out in the postseason. So, yeah, I mean, to blow a lead like that that had never really been done at that scale in the postseason that's embarrassing is the word. It's it's different than you brought up the, the Joe Carter game back in 93. Like we've seen closers give up home runs. Like that happens. It's part Were of the Were you game. alive for that? I just yeah. want to make it relative. Yeah, okay. I was. So I would have been seven. Um, and I, I remember watching the game. I was in my living room with yeah. my parents and watching it, but it wasn't. And I was extremely sad about it, but it wasn't, you know, you're that young. It's not like this thing that's seared into your memory as much as you are when you're older. Um but yeah, that's that's something that happens, and it's extremely disappointing. But it's not this historically like bad comeback that you allow or anything, as as the Sixers uh, series was with the Hawks. So yeah, I, I think you laid out a pretty good argument. I, I don't know if many people would argue with you. Um, so the Carter one is understandable. The joke I love to tell about that: I was born in May of '94. My parents were living together and my dad had a part-time job at UPS and it was a night shift and he quit it just so he could watch that game of the World Series and they lost and my mom was unbeknowingly pregnant with me at the time. Just like (laughs) as soon as I was like even in the slightest, slightest, slightest sense of the world, 
word in this world, Philadelphia crushing disappointment happens. Yeah, you like like Bain said he was born into darkness. You were born into Philadelphia yeah. sports disappointment. <laughs> yeah, the Phillies didn't make the playoffs until I was 13. Imagine going up in that, you know, baseball's such a young fan's a child's game. And I mean that in the most greatest way possible. But to be like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, not being able to watch your favorite team make the postseason sucked so much. Yeah, that, that was that was really the the uh, the depths of the Phillies struggles was that that decade there, like there were some really rough rosters. They went through year to year. Um, I, I remember the one year Omar Dahl was their opening day starter. And <laughs> it was just like, what are we even doing here? Like we have to watch 162 games of this. Um, yeah. Th- those are some rough times to be sure, which uh, that was, you know, part of the reason that those uh, the, the Hamels, you know, holiday the golden area of of Phillies baseball that made it all the much sweeter because the fans that had stuck around through that that previous decade it it was just like the uh Andy Dufresne crawling through the 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 river of shit in Shawshank and he finally has achieved the promised land that's that's what it really felt like when we had that that four to five year period of them just being at the apex of the sport um so yeah, Tomas Perez ain't walking through that door. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, so, but uh, getting back to the Sixers, obviously disappointing yeah. end to the season last year for everybody. Uh, we don't need you, you let your feelings be known. Um, but but what do you yeah. think about the, the off season they had? Um, they they didn't trade any draft picks, which was something that people kind of thought might happen. There weren't any major moves in free agency. The, the moves they made were basically replacing guys in, in one for one roles they already had on the roster Drummond for Howard uh, Niang for, for Mike Scott, which, you know, they, they look like good marginal improvements on, on the uh, periphery of the roster, but you know, nothing, nothing major. And obviously the Ben Simmons shoe is still yet to drop, but uh, we're going to talk about Simmons in a moment, but so we don't have to really go into that yet. But aside from that, what did you think about the, the off season that the Sixers had? I like the Niang move a lot, and Scott was kind of a corpse by the end of his last season here. Yeah, he had some really fun moments that season. He came over from the Clippers, made that huge shot against Brooklyn in 2019. So obviously, you know, he obviously cultivated this uh, great fan base, kind of uh, spiritual successor, I felt like, to the uh, fandom that existed for Sharich in those process years. So, but I did really like the Niang move. But overall, and I guess we can't necessarily jump straight to it, but the elephant in the room is obviously Simmons. He's still here. And as long as that kind of situation doesn't play itself out and the longer it goes on. And I understand the concept of, you know, Maury is valuable of all. And if he doesn't think he's going to have the, the greatest possible deal, he's not going to force it. And I understand that, you know, it could be December and the Sixers are doing pretty well and Ben Simmons' numbers are okay. That's when a star gets disgruntled, whether it's a Damian Lillard, whether it's a Bradley Beal, and they just start demanding out those things are obviously important and you don't want to blow the next two years just because you were itching to get rid of a guy in September instead of waiting three months or something like that. So I get that, but after the way things ended, it's just really demoralizing in a way to run it back, to think, you know, definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result type vibes. And I don't know. (laughs) But do you want him gone? I know what's what's the consensus out LB. 
I obviously want to trade him. I don't want to trade him for, yeah. you know, uh, a future top 55 protected second round pick. But at a certain point, it feels like a, I want to say like addition by subtraction, but you're also going to be bringing in some good talent, obviously, even if it's not true star level talent, talent that maybe fits this roster a little bit better, does some more creative things that are necessary in the modern NBA, whether it's a attacking guard who maybe isn't a true all-star, but is able to get to the bucket, can get can uh, knock down a catch and shoot three and distribute just a tad. Something like that is very, very enticing to me. And again, after I said the most crushing disappointment in my time as a Philadelphia sports fan, again, it's disheartening to think that the team that did that is essentially coming back and we're exposed to expect that a different result's going to happen when the conference is stronger, when Milwaukee is stronger, when Brooklyn is stronger, when the Western Conference is stronger. It's hard. It is. And I don't think anyone envies the position Daryl's in right now because no, it's he's in a horrible position. Obviously, that's what he gets paid for the big bucks for. That's why he's known as one of the greatest uh, front office minds and not just basketball, but in all of sports right now. But the onus is on him right now. The next three, six, nine months, however you want to lay it out, he needs to readjust this Sixers roster and whatever by whatever means necessary to maximize the short prime the short prime, the the mileage that Joel Embiid has on his on his body, and get him into the NBA Finals. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you asked the kind of consensus within Liberty Ballers regarding Simmons. I think it's obviously shifted a lot as this has drug on, dragged on, and um, we're now in a position where they're talking about potentially fining him if he doesn't show up to camp and everything else. Earlier, you think in the he did t- not show up. I think he could, yeah. But that's just like that just hammers home the need to trade him. It's a distraction. And it's such an obvious comparison. It's made a, a million times, but it does have that Carson Wentz feel. Well, obviously, this guy is supremely talented, but him leaving brings an immediate vibes and yeah, feelings change to the roster. Yeah, there there's gonna be a catharsis when he eventually heads heads for greener pastures or uh, when he's just not part of this situation at the roster and you don't have yeah. to discuss him every day and you can actually focus on the guys that, that want to be here and everything else for sure um i i do i it, it definitely seems like it's a possibility um I, I don't know what do you make of obviously everyone has their own guys that they leak stuff to and everyone uses the media to their advantage these days in a way that didn't really happen in the past but you see Clutch obviously have the, has their mouthpieces in the media. And then you see something like a report from Tom Moore this week who, you know, we all love Tom, but it's pretty clear that Sixers management like gave him this scoop or whatever to, to say, hey, we're, we're okay with Simmons, you know, moving forward throughout the season just to, to try to regain some level of leverage in trade negotiations. Uh, I don't know. Do, I personally think that it's very possible they just let him sit and they could even go into the season. They're just finding him. And because the, the alternative, if there's not a deal out there is that you get this awful deal and then you don't even have the trade chip available. So should something arise. And I think if the, the downside of him sticking around is you have a distraction and you're not able to bring in a role player too, that could help you during the regular season, I don't really feel like it matters that much if they finish third in the regular season or if they finish sixth, like as a result of 
this regular season downgrade that th this would cause. I think the worst case scenario is that you capitulate and just give up Simmons for something that isn't going to help you that much in the present. Like you're still going to be a three seed in the East this year. And, and then you don't have anything set up for the future. So to me, the risk reward is to still just hold on and make sure you get at least something of a fair return for Simmons. If it's not a star, at least this bushel of trade assets, like for a combination of four different first round picks and swaps or whatever, so that you're, you're still at least in a position asset wise to, to make a, a fair offer. If the star does become available uh, by the trade deadline or whenever, um, I, I think that's the only course of action. Like I, I wouldn't expect within the next two to three weeks for, for Daryl to say, all right, I like throw his hands up and just take whatever the best offer is on the table. If it's not approaching fair value. So I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, on that kind of situation? Would you agree that Rich Paul is the most powerful person in the NBA? Uh, I think, yeah, because his, I mean, like his, I guess his affiliation like LeBron with LeBron. And, yeah. So it's like so that, some combination just, of LeBron and just clutch him, yeah. in general, I guess, but yeah. I feel like, uh, they're one A and one B in terms of what they hold in this way they hold, which is just, you know, wild and all about player empowering, but it's just crazy how in the NBA specifically how things have changed over the last 15 or so years. I think there were, there are obviously three options for how the Simmons situation plays out going into the season. One, he's traded. Two, he comes in training camp, practices, ends up playing in the regular season. Three, he sits it all out. How would you rank those three in terms of most likely to least likely? I would say the most likely is that he he comes and he's not happy, but he, he plays anyway. And he just says, like, look, whatever the first deal is on the table that you th you feel is OK, just do it. So I'd probably rank that as like a, a 35 to 40 percent chance of happening. And then right below that, maybe almost equal, is that he just sits out entirely and just. Yeah says, hey, I got most of my money for the season up front. Like, this isn't really going to hurt me financially. And uh, he's in a it's situation. that FaZe Clan money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he can just, uh, he just get in his, uh, his gamer setup in, his, in his, uh, his place and just, you know, wait for, wait for the call to come. Um, I don't think that given he still has many years left on his deal, it's not a situation where he's going to worry about it hurting his next contract, like a guy who was yeah. on an expiring and yeah. that that's not going to factor into play. And uh, he's still really young and he's a known commodity. Like people know his strengths and weaknesses. It's not like he's this mystery box. So him not taking the court isn't going to affect trade negotiations in the sense that uh, no one needs to see what Ben Simmons can do. Everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think, that's probably probably even with him actually showing up and probably third is that a trade happens within the next three weeks, because right now we're in the, we're in the season of hope springs eternal. Every team has made their moves. They have their draft picks. Everyone thinks like, Hey, this could be the year, if, you know, things break right. Um, but you know, it six weeks into the season and somebody's staring at a five and 13 record that didn't expect to things change. And that's, yeah. that's when the calls start coming in. So I, yeah, I don't expect anything to happen because if, 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 if what Daryl viewed as a fair offer hadn't already come in, there's no reason to expect it's going to come in the next two weeks. 
Yeah, I feel like there's no shot he gets traded before the end of the season. And I'm at, I think those two first two options are fairly similar, but I will say, I will go 51% that he sits out, 49% that he plays. I just, it just feels like the only way this, this ends for the Sixers is in the most agonizing drug out way possible where it creates a gigantic distraction from the team itself that Ben is sitting out and just really hits home how disconnected he has become between his coach, his fellow players and the organization at large. Yeah. I, and you know, that is a risk if he does end up playing that, that every night it's them asking Joel, like, Oh, well, how, how's your relationship with Ben right now? And people asking Tyrese like, Oh, you're coming off the bench, but you're playing well. Do you feel like you're ready to step into a more prominent role? Yeah, should ben? you be the starting point guard? Yeah. Should, it be the, should it be the off ball guard? Exactly. Just a ton of, you know, distracting questions that have to do with this guy that everyone knows is gone, but you can't just flat out ask that every night. So you have to ask these, these like media questions that are a version of a subtweet in real life or whatever. Um, yeah. It's, it's a risk. And, that's that's something that Daryl certainly has to weigh, but I, I think as we laid out, that's maybe the the best path put forward, um, even with all those downsides. Like, you just you can't give them up for ten cents on the dollar. It's just sure. not not the best path forward for the franchise. Um, all right, so that's that's probably enough of depressing Ben Simmons talk. I feel like I have to do this every week because that's the dominant conversation in Sixers basketball it, it right now weird. it's <laughs> annoyed about it on twitter you're like oh we're, we're still talking about the ben simmons thing how could you be talking about literally anything exactly. else with this team <laughs> it's mystifying it just goes back to the entire simmons saga where it's like oh you guys are still talking about ben not dunking the ball or ben not wanting to shoot or ben not wanting to do this yes because it's insane that that happens on a basketball court and everyone is feeling like that things are fine you know it's that that dog that's on fire saying this is fine and pretending like none of these issues exist and as if they haven't existed for the last handful of years yeah it's the former number one pick who is an all defensive player of the year runner-up uh he's made multiple all-star games he's still young and he is under contract for a long time and he's asked out and like what else are you supposed to talk about that's that's basically like a mad libs of sports hot topic things that you would cover um so yeah that's that's definitely irresponsible not to have a sixers <laughs> podcast and not talk about it it's exactly just ignoring the elephant in the room it's pretending things are so rosy even have after as i would say the most embarrassing i've ever felt as a philadelphia sports fan just transpired in may with with him right at the center of it was. yeah um all right but there yeah, there's is it <laughs> yeah so there, there there are positive things we we could look forward to this season they do have promising young players um we saw swole tyrese maxi on social media this week looks like he put on some uh some some muscle and everything and yeah. after his uh, rocked up yeah and after his his two game about to play wide receiver for the eagles looking like did he i, I missed that what, what was the what happened there he, he, so he looks like he's about to play wide receiver for the Eagles, like rocked up Jalen Rager. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably a similar speed on the outside he could bring for sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah. He, he looked really good in his two games of summer league. Uh, Paul Reed 
uh, he had his his 2020 game, the the second time ever in Vegas Summer League, someone put up a 2020 game and looks really uh, ready to assume more minutes going forward. They got Isaiah Joe Springer had a nice yeah. Summer League finale. Um, but yeah, what is the what uh, one or two players are you most looking forward to to seeing and maybe being able to spread their wings in the upcoming season? I felt like after the Atlanta series, and I have talked about this with a few people, the three players that felt like they weren't hateable after that season were after that series were Joel, Seth, and certainly Tyrese. So to see Tyrese take a jump this year, whether it's because Ben gets dealt or Ben sitting out and he's getting those minutes would be tremendous. And I think he's a future all-star in this league, whether it's in Philadelphia or he gets sent out somewhere else as part of a trade package. He has a bright, shining future in the NBA. I love, love, love what we saw from Isaiah Joe in sparse minutes last season. And if he gets actual minutes that aren't just garbage time, I know Doc Rivers has an allergy to playing young players sometimes, but to see him thrive, I think last season, and again, he didn't play a ton of minutes, but I was kind of surprised at what he showcased as a defender. You know, he was jacking up like 11 or 12 shot, 12 threes a game in Arkansas his last year in college show you know he's going to throw that up with no conscience. And I absolutely love that because the Sixers, clearly when your point guards, Ben Simmons, don't have a lot of guys who are just willing to jack up shots the way you're going to need to in certain crunch time and late game situations. So I love that with Joe. I think the 2020 draft class could be incredible because you rarely do see in the NBA two or maybe even three players from a certain draft class becoming key contributors. And Paul Reed as a second round pick, again, might be, you know, it's early, but Everywhere he's played is just an efficient beast out there, whether it's college, summer league, and in his brief time in the NBA. Yeah, you can uh, you can say a lot of things about the job that the Sixers front office has done in, in recent years, but one thing they've definitely done well yeah. is, is hit on those later draft picks, whether it's the, the guys yes. in the, the back end of the first round or the or the second round. Like we talk about guys like like Paul Reed and and Shake Milton. Like these are guys Shake in the, even Shamit, Matisse, even if they're not playing yeah. here, those guys are all legit NBA players. Yeah, for sure. Like normally people taken in the fifties in an NBA draft are just throwaway picks. Like pe- people yeah. sell those picks away as the Sixers bought one this year to then select uh, Charles Bassey. But th- these guys have become legitimately ro- rotation players in the NBA. So, so credit to the scouting department and front office for, for identifying those guys. And yeah, Maxi falling to where he did and, and Matisse getting selected at 20 and now these redraft things that pop up on, on Twitter and are, are completely ridiculous, but you know, you see Matisse going fourth in a redraft. It was a top five. Yeah. It was like a bleacher <laughs> report that NBA central reposted. And yeah. I don't know if I'd take him top five over like a guard, like. Yeah. I thought Garland, Darius, like Garland. You know, say Darius Garland was in that draft, right? I, I take Darius Garland over Matisse right now, just because of the, the structure of the Sixers roster. Obviously Matisse is, you know, similar to Ben defensively where he has, uh, the capability to be not just a future all defensive team player consistently, but maybe even contend for defensive player of the year. Yeah. I mean, he was, he made an all defensive team with the lowest minutes played for game in NBA history. So if you think he can, if Ben leaves and he suddenly is pl- finding himself playing 30 minutes a game instead of 20 minutes a game, like he's definitely in that conversation for best perimeter defender in the league. He could certainly get those accolades um, in the future. But it felt yeah. young, like 
young Rodman-esque, uh, like late era, 80s era Rodman on the Pistons, where again, Dennis Rodman's one of the three or four best defenders of all time. So I'm not saying he's that caliber of player, but just the role he had in such quick time and sparse minutes on a team that had championship aspirations to become such a key cog is tremendous. And you have to credit um, the previous regime for drafting him in the first place, but also the Sixers coaching staff getting into the level that he's at right now. Yeah, they did a great job. He he improved. Uh, I, I wrote the Matisse's player profile for the site this past week. Yeah. And the fact that he actually upped his his steals and blocks averages on a, on a per 36 basis while not having as many fouls. And that was the big thing um, that Brett Brown used to say in Matisse's rookie season when Brett was the coach that he, he really wanted Matisse to work on picking his spots more and not being as, as reckless with the fouls and everything. Yeah. And he did that while, while still maintaining even a slightly higher level of disruption and chaos on the defensive end. It, it was, uh, it was really tremendous to watch his growth last season. He, I think the next step is, is not falling for those, those pump fakes on jumpers. Like he had a, a couple yeah. costly ones, uh, especially in the postseason. Um, but you know, he's, he's still really young and learning and that'll come, I think. Um, but yeah, that, that would probably be the next thing I'd look to see from him, but yeah, a uh, lot of, a lot of good young Sixers. Uh, you're going to cover them all for us here at Liberty Ballers. We're, we're very happy to have you back aboard on the team. Um, so Seamus, uh, we, we mentioned your Twitter at, uh, at Seamus underscore Clancy. And I, I mentioned your bleeding green nation work earlier, but I know you have a lot of, a lot of other stuff you have going on. Uh, anything else you want to plug for, for people out there listening? Sure. If you want to check out, you like my Twitter, you like my writing across the, the interweb, check out my uh, Philadelphia Sports Daily Monday through Friday newsletter. You can check it out, patreon.com backslash Seamus underscore Clancy. If you want to read me daily, get a newsletter sent to your email inbox every Monday through Friday morning. But obviously, you're going to see a ton of me across SB Nation with both Bleeding Green Nation, BGN Radio, and now and forever. Liberty Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Now, as you as you're here simultaneously across time, uh, yes. yes. So, Seamus, uh, really happy to have you uh, aboard on on the Liberty Baller site this year. I'm looking forward to reading your coverage, and uh, thanks for joining me on the pod this week. It was great talking to you. Awesome. So happy. This is my first uh, real LB appearance in a few years. I'm glad I was able to come on here with you, Sean. All right. Appreciate it. And uh, to everyone out there, I'll, I'll talk to you next week.